Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So today we have Janine, a fellow New Yorker. And every time I have someone from New York, you know, it's always love for fellow New Yorkers because we're just raised and born a little bit differently. So this episode, the nickname for this boss is going to be the instructional boss because she's all about the insight of instruction. And we're going to talk about what type of instruction here shortly. So Janine, the floor is yours. Why don't you tell audience a little bit more about you and what would you like to talk about today? Hi, it's so good to be with you. I'm really excited to be with you to talk about anything you want related to learning and development and professional leadership development, because that's the space that I work in. And if you want to deviate into anything fun, like world travel, being a people enthusiast, I'm cool with that too. Uh, upstate New York food, since you're a foodie as well, mm. that works for me. Well, I, I was going to save the foodie conversation to talk about your mom's pastries. So we'll get to that a little bit later on, right? So let, let's start off right off that. I think these three key keywords can kind of give you some inspiration to kind of drive this conversation. Coach, train, consult. If I say those three words, what do they mean to you? What do they mean to me? They mean unlocking the power in people. This idea that we could have one conversation, one idea, one action to really change everything in your life mm -hmm. and training coaching that is all part of that that huh. idea of power of people so i want you to kind of like go back i want, I want to start off this, this very early in, in the time travel aspect of this this podcast like what kind of kid because i mean obviously you could hold a lot of information then you could regurgitate a lot of information you know you were a teacher at one time you're technically still a teacher now i want you to kind of talk about that aspect of you as a kid were you like a brainiac or were you kind of like the kid that was more quiet and, and then you grew into being more of a louder speaker? Uh, quiet and I have never known that relationship. Quiet was not me. <laughs> um, I have always been a talker. I've always been a teacher. My mom always talks about how when I was a kid, I would have my imaginary classroom and friends. Mm -hmm. And so I was always kind of taking charge. My first phrase when I was a kid was, I could do it by myself. And that was my exact phrase. So I was always wanting to show and teach and do and, and work on that. So I started back as a little kid, uh, being interested in really helping others to grow and develop. And that started in kind of a winding path. Um, I didn't actually think I was going to be a teacher. I went to school originally for packaging engineering, so structural package design. And how that really got me into my business and teaching was in, in developing others is because um, I went through a training program at my first job in Boston and Boston, Massachusetts. And I came back to HR. They asked me how it went. And I was like, uh, I might be able to do that better. <laughs> and so that's kind of started into a conversation of how do you get into this corporate training and development kind of thing? And you know, what does it take to help do this in a way that, that, um, I don't know, engages people a little bit differently, makes adult education fun the way school used to be fun as a kid. Hmm. So, I mean, that was like the, the overlapping conversion of you becoming a high school teacher. So, I mean, obviously that yeah. has to been a significant choice considering the direction that you wanted to go in versus the direction that you kind of started off. So how did you become a high school teacher? Yeah. Uh, the way I became a high school teacher is like way leading on to way. I was living in that, working in that job in Boston. I had to move back to Buffalo, New York, which is where I am right now. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to be doing. And uh, I wanted to get into that adult education space. And so while I was doing a graduate program, I started substitute teaching in high school, a high school setting. And a high school teacher there convinced me to, that I was pretty good at it. And uh, a college professor at my adult education program for my master's degree told me with a couple extra hours, I could be a certified state teacher. My mom was a New York state teacher. And so of course they all thought, you know, what do you, what do you, of course you want to go into school and be a teacher. Summer's off, holidays, vacations, that whole thing. And so 
that was where I got started actually in teaching. And then it wasn't very long, only about two or three years before there was some enrollment cuts. And I say the universe put me back on track. And so I'd kind of gone off onto this teaching in a traditional setting and realized traditional high school setting wasn't for me. Teaching, helping people grow, unleashing their power within, all of that was for me, just not in, you know, a nine to 12, in like, you know, nine to 12 high school setting environment. And so I lost my teaching job and I had to find a job. And that was how I got into instructional design and adult education and leading onto that path. I think it's definitely interesting because I mean, obviously one generation feeds into the other generations and they're picking the, the, the avatar, right? You can kind of pick ninth graders or you can pick elementary school or you can pick 40 year olds that are trying to figure out the midlife crisis that's coming up soon, right? <laughs> so for right. you, you kind of went somewhere in the middle and you took what you did in, in the high school education space and you came up with this thing, like a, a terminology called training reimagined, right? And you talk about strategy, scalability and suitability. So I want you to kind of break down why did you choose those three things in the education space for adults? Yeah, so great question. So the reason why I did that is because I've been so frustrated by the fact that when you walk into a corporate training setting, right, people, adults walk in are like, oh, here we are, training, right? They don't want to be there. And that um, that idea of they didn't want to be there really bothered me and trying to understand why. So there was kind of a little piece of that. The other piece of it was the businesses that are paying me to come in and help develop their people are frustrated when there isn't long-term behavior change. And so it's kind of the map between that. That was where this idea of training needs to be reimagined came from. And it's most corporate environments focus on just the space of running an event or just the training moment. And they don't connect to it, the strategy and the long-term sustainability that has to happen. But it's really interesting because where the K through 12 kind of education overlaps is K through 12 education is all about the long-term trajectory of growth. That idea that we've got a plan from when you're younger at into adulthood to get you to continually stepping and learning and growing and having a supportive structure in place in order to kind of sustain that. And corporate environments didn't have it. And so this idea of how do we relook at what it looks like to develop adults and help them develop skills kind of blends with that history. And there's all these little bits and pieces of connection that pull together um, that kind of create that, that really embodied that. And that idea that we just have to reimagine what we're doing so that helping individuals develop um, after the traditional education kind of time in their life is more meaningful, yeah, you know? Yeah, I think it's definitely fascinating. And one thing by doing my due diligence, and I realize like you speak in trilogies, right? Like everything that you do. And that's why I'm kind of leading you into it. The first one was coach, train, consult. The other one was strategy, scalability, suitability. And now I want you to talk about one conversion, one idea, one action. Like when did you come up with that? And, and what is that usually used for in, in the state of sitting down with someone to help them, you know, obviously understand the material that you're teaching them? Yeah. So I, it's, I love it. You're right. I do think in trilogies. I'm constantly thinking in scale and a, a lot of connections. And so over time, what that has morphed into is that idea of the power of one. We talk about a full circle moment, a uh, quick story, if you don't mind, about where that concept comes from. But as a little kid, my mom used to always say to us, Janine, the most important number in the world is one. The power of one is the only number that has ever changed the world. And it's that idea of one thing is the one triggering event. And what I've learned over time with corporate environments is they want this massive change out of people. But it, talk, it starts with one conversation that leads to one idea that leads to one action that begins to change. And so when I work with teams of people now, it's this, uh, this thing that says, what are the conversations we need to be having? What's new, one new idea that you've got? What's one thing that you're willing to latch on to? Mm -hmm. How can we use that? How can we shape that? And then build on that to be the next thing. Because that's kind of the, that's the whole idea, the concept of power of one. So as, as you kind of indicated, they've all really built their way to getting yeah. where I am today. 
Yeah. 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 So I'm going I'm to suck that, that state of mind from now and I'm going to pull you back retroactively. Right. So I want to talk about okay. the, this is the fourth time we're talking about three. And it just so happens to in 1985, there was a picture of you and your brother, Gino, and he was happened to be age three. Go figure. Right. So I want you to kind of talk about like that relationship between you and your brother. I mean, obviously, like you're a brainiac. You think of strategy. You think of men growth. Is your brother the same or is he completely different? And, and how does that relationship work in the family space? Oh, that is so cool. You you do your homework. I'm so impressed. So my brother and I are very close. And the relationship, there's about a four-year difference. We're similar in some ways and very different in others. Um, but I think the story you're alluding to here is that my brother kicked me off into business. Is that where you're going with this one? So my brother, um, the way Knowledge Force, so my business and what I do all of this work under is Knowledge Force Consulting. And so I've been in business now for about 12 years. And my brother, who I'm very close to, I was complaining about work and, you know, uh, you know, those things when you work for another boss. And he kept saying to me, um, Janine, you just, you know, you could do this on your own. If you think you can do better, do better. And so for my birthday, um, he's an attorney and an accountant. Or, and so he sent me all my paper, legal paperwork uh, 12 years ago to get started. And was like, put up or shut up, sis. Like, it's time to stop talking and start doing. And mm -hmm. so that was it. That was how I ended up getting into business and, and jumping off and actually going independently and on my own from what I've been doing. So he and I've got this great relationship. We do a lot of things together. Uh, we've traveled the world together. Uh, but he's he's more corporate than I am. <laughs> Which kind of leads me, I mean, I'm happy that you ended that sentence. And again, I'll, every time I have these type of conversations, I, I assure the listener that we did not pre-discuss any of this stuff. This stuff is just rolling off the top of the tongue, right? Yeah, so with that last word of corporate, it kind of leads me to some other family members. You have a family member named Rob that works for Salesforce. You have his wife also worked for Salesforce and works for Hootsuite. So I wanted to have you work with them in any sense to kind of build, because those two platforms are very education-driven SaaS platforms. So have you gotten any insight from them on your journey? Oh, that's so funny. Robbie actually was the very first person who ever set me up in my tech space of everything, because I admit that I am not the most tech savvy when it comes to streamlining things. Um, but yeah, he was the very first person who kind of set me up into a platform, CRMs, you know, Google Suite back when I had no idea what the heck any of that was and how to, how to work with that. And so, yeah, they've, family members. And even further back than those family members, when I got started, another family member sent me a picture. Um, and it was all the self-employed and small business owners in our family. Wow. And there were about 25 in that photo. Mm -hmm. And his note on the back of it said, welcome to the club. Yeah. And so we've got a little bit of that history and blood in there. And uh, I remember leaving my previous employer before I went on my own. Great people. I have nothing bad to say about them at all. Great people. Except there was a little concern, like, do you know how hard it's going to be for you to go and do this on your own? And I was like, yeah, I come from a family of small business and entrepreneurs. Like, yep, nobody's going to trust in me more than me. Wow. So that was part of my journey, too. And again... You ended it with nobody's going to trust you more than you, except for one person. I would talk about your biggest cheerleader who happens to be Barbara, your mom. So I want you to kind of talk about her always being in your your backcourt. Like she is the biggest cheerleader you ever have. I think it was a post that she said, uh, a precious gift from God. And it was a picture of you. And I was like, holy shit. Like, like <laughs> you have to kind of give credit where credit is. I want you to kind of talk about like how your mom has always been supportive and motivating you through your journey. Oh, yeah, that is so great. So yes, my, interestingly enough, the history of the name, you know, names have meaning. And the name Janine actually means a precious gift from God. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, it's so sweet. She does. She says it all the time. So my precious gift from God. So my parents have been, both my parents, really, mom and dad, have been incredible champions. Uh, they've supported me through everything that I've done. And most of, mostly, they've just emotionally supported Um which I think is the most critical piece. And really so many of my philosophies and my life views come back from that relationship with my mom. And my mom and I are buddies. We uh, travel the world together. We are off on our next grand adventure in just a couple weeks from now. Um, and so, so much of 
the, my views around the world are really founded in two things. I already shared with you one. She said about the power of one. And the other thing that my mom used to always say when we were kids was when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. When life gives you opportunity, make a difference. And those two kind of cornerstones and in, in philosophies about growing, you know, growing up have kind of just been anchored in and they really come back to that idea of everything that I do with the business and that idea of investing in people is that we we're powerful in each of us individually is powerful and collective. And when we have opportunity, what can we do with it to do, to do things better? Wow. Wow. Yeah. I think yeah. one of the, the key words that you brought up and I kind of wanted to kind of layer it into this next conversation. And you said travel at least four or five times since this conversation came up, right? So I want yeah. you to kind of talk about your, in fact, like I want to, I want to state some dates for the listener, right? February 7, 2022, right? April 18th, 2020, April 7, 2015, April 19, 2013. Every single one of these times you were in <laughs> Egypt. What, I was in is Egypt. what is your infatuation with Egypt? Like, how did that come into play? Oh, goodness, man, you're really going somewhere. So I do have to give you another date that's coming in the future here. October 25th, wow. 2023, I am headed there again. Hmm. So um, I, it starts back again, another mom story, but my mom, uh, several years ago in the early 2000s, was invited to ho uh, be a facilitator, a teacher leader with students and adults. They brought 50 kids from around the world to sponsor something called the Peace Camp. And these students were brought to Egypt. And so my mom's experience was that she went to Egypt and that opened the, the doorway for us uh, as a family to really get involved uh, with traveling there and things of that nature. And my brother ended up, who I'm close to, as I've said, ended up studying abroad and meeting his uh, wife, who's not Egyptian. She's a Japanese, uh, Japanese American. And she, well, actually she's Japanese. She's an American green card holder. So, um, but she, yeah, they met there in Egypt. My nephew is named Cairo after wow. Cairo, Egypt. So we do have a lot of connections, but my love for Egypt is the people, mm -hmm. the culture, um, the kindness, the innocence, the community, the goodness. Hmm. Yeah. The goodness. I've been really fortunate. I've traveled all over the world, but Egypt is one of the places in the world that I love the most. I love I mean, the Middle yeah, East. To your point, I mean, you've been in multiple different places, but it was just like mm -hmm. that, that Middle Eastern, Northern Africa region that you kind yep. of touched on so many different times, which kind of yep. thought, like you brought up food earlier, right? So I want to kind of talk about like your mom had a dish, right? And I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, talking about that Turkish pastry. Is that something mm -hmm. that she picked up while she was in that region? Is that something that you grew up with? Like, like what is her love and infatuation with that particular dish? I'll be honest with you. My mom is not a good cook anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so we just let her think she's good. <laughs> she Promise does. I won't tell she her. Could, don't tell her. She's not going to listen to this podcast. Okay. I, I, I hope. She probably will because it'll get posted and then she loves everything and she'll, she'll follow me all the way through. So, but yeah, um, I, I, I can't go there with you on that one. That one was just a, a joke. Okay, go ahead. I would just say, no, no, so, no, you no, have a love say, for do, food. I do well, like right? Middle Eastern food. Mm -hmm. I actually love Thai food. I'm an Italian kid who loves Thai food. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Makes mm -hmm. sense. Makes sense. So, makes obviously, sense. like now you're you're through and through a teacher, right? So, I want you to kind of talk yes. about this this packaging engineering. Being that I have a graphic design degree, we could definitely dive into that space. But what was your love for the 3D form of design? Oh. I loved packaging design because it establishes a relationship mm. with the user, uh, the person who interacts with it. And it could be incredibly simple and functional, or it could be beautiful and ornate and elaborate. And the actual package itself does so many things. It communicates, it communicates to the person who's holding it. Um, so many things, but it also protects things. Um, it's functional. See, look at look at me bringing my threes back in again. Functional beauty. So, yeah, 
I liked it. Um, I was focused in the food packaging industry was really where I was mostly interested. And I like the functionality of improving product packaging to make it better for people and better for the environment. So, I mean, you have so many different disciplines in, in, in one person. So does that make it easier for you to kind of step into a random corporate building, not even knowing what they particularly sell or what service they have and become completely adaptive at that moment? How do you deal with that? Yeah, that's another great question. So, yeah, I, I think that that's what makes me stronger, to be honest. Um, I think the ability to work in the aerospace engineering industry or, or or sector of the world Mm -hmm. and then walk in and be able to work with, you know, pharmaceutical companies and then engage in a small local furniture store business. And you interact with all of those types of very different organizations. Mm -hmm. I get to bring the best of what each discipline has and bring it to the client that I'm working with in that moment. Mm -hmm. But then I would say my common denominator is people, because at the end of the day, that is the universal thread that pulls through every single business is the people that we have, people so that we're working with. You listed a couple of them, right? So, I mean, obviously aerospace is one of them. Automotive is another one. Banking, financial services, call center operations, engineering, manufacturing, okay. device, pharmaceutical, telecommunications, and travel and hospitality, like all these different <laughs> Thing, right? So yeah. as an entrepreneur, you always think about niche down, niche down, niche down. So I want you to kind of talk about like these are completely different monsters, right? I mean, you could be a lean ninja and help one group, or you can be a philosopher and help the other group. Yeah. How how are you actually helping them when you step into the space? Again, you're educating them. So I want you to talk more so about what are you educating them on? Yeah, what I'm educating them on. So I go through and work with them on how to develop their internal talent. And so a lot of it is leadership development, people development within, but my take on that is that we do that in an organization specific way. So it's not off the shelf training, nothing against off the shelf training. It's just that what I have experienced with that is that it is foundational and it's the event. It is not the strategy and the sustainability pieces necessary to really pull and and make that long-term behavior change stick. And so I'm going through and working with them in their environments around their real world business situations and settings. And so it's leadership, it's content, it's having difficult conversations, which I hate that phrase. I don't like it. I reframe it to say it's essential conversations. If we just have essential conversations every day, to move things forward, we're, that's, that's the goal. That's the whole ballgame. Let's just keep having conversation every day that advances us um, and moves forward. It's the idea of helping them understand that power of one. What is the one conversation, the one idea, and the one action you are taking that's going to drive the thing you, that they need to do, whether that's sales or business or coaching or product innovation, what are the kind of framework pieces around all of that that it moves it forward? Hmm. So I think I think part of that is this is this split that onion and dive in a little bit deeper. So you're coming into a corporation, you're talking about leadership and there's different levels, right? So I mean you have the employees that are looking to advance into mm-hmm. leadership. You have management, which is definitely leadership, and then you have like the C suite. Which level are you coming in and what's the objective to get them to where? Like what's the goal after you help them? Hmm. Yeah. So I'm usually coming in at middle or first line management when it comes to the training side of business. So if I'm doing training and development, it tends to be that first line leader, supervisor, manager. And the goal really is, is that they have been often experts in the work that they do. And now they need to develop their skill set into being experts of people and not just process and procedure and things and outputs. And so helping them build that skill so that they can have better conversations and and stronger interactions with people in order to make that, you know, um, enhance those relationships and be able to output the desires for the working business. That's kind of the training side of things. When it comes into the strategic side of business, the consulting, that tends to be at C-suite. So that's when I go in and we sit down and we develop strategy 
And some clients have the internal people to be able to develop and, and deliver training, but they don't have the strategy component. And so I'll go in and help them establish strategy. And then the final piece is coaching. And that's usually at the individual level. And I, I do that with intact teams and in corporations. So that again is working with both middle management and more senior management. So yeah. it's, it's all over the place. I know everybody always says to me, you need to niche, you need to niche, you need to get niche and focus in. Um, I balk that. I don't know, maybe someday I'll listen, but my, to play off the theme of your title here of uncaged, that's, I can't get caged in on that. Can't get caged in on it. I am, a, I am, I am breaking against that mold. And I think one of the reasons why that I really push against it is because what I remind people is my niche is people. Mm. My niche is people. Mm. And uh, I'm a people enthusiast. Mm -hmm. And they are part of every business. So why would I sector down and miss the beauty that we can have from learning from all different styles of people and entrepreneurs and leaders and industries and organically pull the best of the best mm -hmm. and cross-populate that uh, huh. into other areas. So I think obviously being diverse is definitely a gift and a curse. But, you know, I think recently within like the last year, I'm almost a year to the date plus a month, you had your first first media interview. So I want you to talk about Hope Rises, the segment that, that you had on Channel 23. You know, obviously that was kind of a moment of recognition based upon what you've been doing, but now you had an opportunity to talk to a larger audience. How did that affect currently where you were to where you are one year later? Ah, yeah. Hope Rises, what an incredible organization. So um, as part of the 10-year anniversary for Knowledge Force Consulting, I threw a thank you party for my clients, friends, family, people that supported that got there. And as part of that initiative, I did something that I called the Invest in Your Community or Invest in, in Our Community Campaign. And um, I took in nominations of small nonprofit uh, organizations that supported the larger Western New York community uh, as recommendations for my local clients. And then there were some uh, that happened nationally because I work nationally as well as as, as regionally. And so um, with those nominations, there was a monthly donation in honor of my clients to, to each of the charities of their choice. And Hope Rises uh, got wind of that and had me on to kind of share about what we're doing for the community and, and those 10 charities that were recognized. And yeah, it was, it was a good media event. It was surprising to see how many people reached out who heard of something um, that we were doing. It really elevated uh, the charities. There were 40 other charities we weren't able to support. So it helped elevate elevate them as well. And a year later, I think with media, with, with all the kind of the media coverage, um, I ended up being on a speaker's panel with the CEO of Siemens USA, Bar Barbara Humpton at the University of Buffalo, which was a huge honor to be able to sit next to her and, and speak about um, employment opportunities in, in New York State and, and across the U.S. and beyond with skill development in the tech space. And I've got opportunities like sitting here talking with you. and. Um, yeah, I think that it's been really positive for me in the sense, personally, it's been fulfilling, um, mm. for the business. It's been a driver and it's definitely brought me new clients and new interesting conversations and people to engage with and help. Um, media makes a difference. Well, again, I mean, you keep ending these statements with, with solid segues about making a difference <laughs> and going into your philanthropic like aspect of what you do. I mean, you volunteered for Big Sister, Little Brother. You've also volunteered the Board of Trustees for People to People International. So I want to talk about like, obviously, you're helping businesses grow. You're a hell of an educator. Where does the giving back aspect kind of fulfill like your requirements of what you want to do and help the world? Like, how did that come into play? Yeah, I love volunteering and helping others. I feel like it's a two-way street. Every time I volunteer and do something, I learn something new. Mm. And uh, so it's just as 
it's it's fulfilling to give and, and it's also you're getting something back from everything that I do, which I love. One of the other things that I'm really passionate about right now too is I help support the University of Buffalo Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership uh, program. And I am a mentor for aspiring, well, either existing or aspiring businesses to help those you know, um, developing entrepreneurs build their skill sets too, which has been an incredible thing the last several years. And it's just super fulfilling. I love giving back my time. And um, I joked because many years ago when I was working with a mentor through that program that I am now supporting and working with at the University of Buffalo, I said that my whole goal was to earn enough to just give it all away. I don't know. To me, the chase is the fun. The develop, the fun of business is the development, the creativity, the helping other people, the financial aspects. Trust me, everybody needs to make a living, right? And I'm not discounting that, but that's not really what drives me. I understand that that drives others, but that's not my core. What drives me? Mine is just the desire that, I, you know, too much is given, much is expected, and that my mom's old thing, right? When life hands you opportunity make a difference. And so I've had so many incredible opportunities and I just, I feel like a really important part of who I am is this idea of planting those seeds and, and paying it forward. And a um, little bit of family history, my uh, father is an immigrant. He, he grew up pretty poor, pretty poor is an understatement of the century, extremely poor. And I always say that I am living like off the fruits of a, you know, of a harvest, like the harvest of seeds I did not plant. And it is my responsibility to plant the seeds for the next harvest. So that's, that's how I see really all of this training, instruction, development, people, all of it, that broader connection um, is really just about doing good for today so that we could do more good for tomorrow. So do you think that's a driving factor for collective of your entire family to be as ambitious as you guys are? I mean, even recently, I think I seen like your mom had bought a brand new Mercedes. So considering that in the early days that, you know, you were saying that you guys kind of grew up poor and now that obviously, you know, money's coming in, how does that really make you feel considering that you're changing a generation? Yeah, so it's interesting. So I should just correct the record. I did not grow up poor. My father grew up poor. Okay. But um, and the reason I say that is just because yes, the the idea of uh, growth has happened so much that I do think it's important to kind of pay it forward. And yeah, the story, mom, mom, that was mom's first new car in twelve years. So that was a big that was a big deal. She was super excited about it. Or well, I was super excited about it for her. Um, so I think that really just it comes from that history of of and family that when you're when you're given opportunities, pay it forward and wherever you are today, continue to kind of pay that forward. And it's been an important an important message in my entire childhood and life. And it comes through in everything that I do and everybody that I work with. And I think even that's what my clients will tell you too, is that they see that commitment. I am not a traditional training and consultant person who like comes in, waves in, says hi today, and then like out the door. Um, once people are connected to me, they're connected for life. I mean, I've had clients who come back, you know, eight, nine years later to share stories or experiences or to ask advice or, um, I'm having dinner with a colleague in a couple of weeks from my very first job 20 something years wow. ago. Like, you know, building relationships and, and keeping those sustained is super important. And I do believe that I do believe that comfort, and I'm not saying wealth, everybody's got their own definition of what wealth is. Um, my definition of wealth includes being able to take care of myself, be able to help others, and have enough left over to travel and experience and see the world because those are my priorities. Other people would have different priorities. So whatever works for them. Um, but that idea, do I think that when you're doing things that are just putting out good in the world, good comes back to you? I do. And, oh. and if that includes money, that includes money. Wow. Wow. It's definitely yeah. insightful. So I want you to kind of think of from that, that, that state of mind that you're in currently right now. And considering that obviously you are where you want to be, but there were some hurdles that you had to overcome in the process. There were some mistakes that you obviously made on your journey. If you could time travel back to a particular time, maybe you can talk to yourself for 20 minutes, a younger version of yourself. What would that conversation look like in order to make sure that that major mistake that you made when you were younger wouldn't happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. 
If I went back to younger me, I would tell her, there is no right way, there's your way. Mm. And you've got to follow your path, right? There is no right way. Because when you're chasing somebody else's path, it's not authentic. And that's when you're going to make all those mistakes. Mm. All the biggest mistakes I've made have come as a result of chasing somebody else's version of fill in the blank, success, happiness, career choice, whatever, whatever they were, relationships, all of it has been really a a sense of following somebody else's versus my own. Um, So that would be the first piece of advice. The second piece would be that I would say, listen to your dad more often in the sense that my dad always says, don't go throwing good money after bad money. And the amount of times as a business owner, I have doubled down on a strategy that wasn't working or um, kept a vendor that I probably should have cut or, um, yeah, those are the mistakes that I wish I could like kind of unwind. Mm -hmm. And I think that I would tell myself to take a few more risks earlier on. And because I think that was really risk adverse, that's probably a little bit of the engineer in me is trying to control and plan and and be cautious about everything. Um, I think it would take a few more risks. And the last thing I would tell her in that conversation is really um, just to cherish the ups and downs. So I'll kind of teach you something. Yeah. I'm going to stir the pot a little bit. Uh Everything that you just said, right? Would you have still went into teaching high school? Consider yes, yeah, okay, okay. yeah, and is that- yeah. Because I really think that it taught me teaching high school specifically for that little juncture of time taught me what I don't like about teaching, which was a structured environment. I, you know, school starts when the bell rings, and school ends when the bell rings, so to speak, and. That's not my style. There wasn't enough flexibility. Um, there wasn't enough gray. And I learned that I needed a world where there was a lot more gray in it when it came to developing and working with people. And adults is, is more that way than it is in a traditional high school setting. And um, yeah, I learned that teachers, K through 12 teachers are some of the hardest working people in the world and some of the least under, least respected and most underpaid yeah. in American society. And yeah, I think. I could get on my soapbox about that, but I think that we, you know, I think that uh, the work that they do isn't valued uh, and measure to the impact and importance of the work that they do. So I think that kind of ties into your your panel discussion. So the title of that panel discussion was Upskilling for a Digital Future. So I want you to kind of Mm -hmm. talk about the comparison between what you just said and what you talked about on that panel discussion. Is there like a bridging of the gap between the technology to help current teachers educate to where the world is currently right now versus going back to the industrial revolution? Yeah. So it's so interesting. I am really impressed by Siemens USA and the work that they do to help, um, to help teachers and educators, because one of the biggest challenges with educators is you're so busy in the job of day-to-day teaching that that developing new materials and pieces and staying up on the technology, that's a whole nother job. And so um, really, I think that corporate America has to tie back into K through 12 a little bit more tightly than it, than it does right now. But while still providing teachers the creativity and space to do what they do best. Right. So I don't necessarily want it to be that corporate America is overlaying what teachers should be doing. I think that they are there to be augmenting and supporting with tools, resources, software, design ideas, things that alleviate the burden, making it more simple for teachers to be able to use technology in the classroom. And we do have a huge digital divide. And part of that is built around a socioeconomic divide in this country. And as a result of those things, it really filters in and impacts a lot. So schools and teachers and resources um, are are needed. So corporate America, I think, can close that gap. And digital technology is moving faster. I mean, gosh, only knows what a five-year-old today will be doing in 15 years in their first jobs. I can't even begin to imagine um, what they'll be doing. 
but somebody's got to be thinking about it. Otherwise we can't be planning and working and teaching them. And I think, I think that there's a real balance between going back and teaching kids hard skills versus um, creative, flexible growth, kind of soft skills, so to speak. And we've spent a lot of time focusing on hard skills and, but those are going to continue to be evolving. Uh, I think that's definitely interesting. I mean, obviously your mom was a teacher, right? And then you were a teacher for a part of time and you kind of figured out there pretty quickly that teaching wasn't the best use of your time. You have a family member, I think her name is Alexandria, that's the teacher right now. So yeah. do you guys kind of have like a three-way conversation considering that you have your mom who's a seasoned vet, you've kind of been there and retired and now she's in the trenches of the war right now. Have you guys had this conversation with her? That's so funny. Alec, I'm just blown away by all the connections and history and, and, and homework you did on my family. So yeah, Alexandria is a teacher out in San Francisco, uh, in the San Francisco area these days. And she does incredible work specifically helping students whose uh, English is not their uh, first language. And um yeah, I mean, we we help Ellie all the time. So she just actually did a recent fundraiser as a teacher hmm. to get her classroom up and running, and you know, add it continue to add resources. I have some teachers here in the local community that Knowledge Force sponsors, and um, yeah, we the idea of of digital tech, especially for Alex in in San Francisco, is critical. So they're at the heart of of the tech space, right? So those kids tend to have some more re uh, resources when it comes to community access to some of um, kind of corporate resources, I guess, but the actual individual classroom teachers continue to need ongoing support. Mm -hmm. yeah. Definitely fascinating. I mean, like like all these different connections and again, to, to your family, you have a large family, but there's so much different overlaps of these circles to kind of, you can kind of, orchestrate the noise of kind of where you guys were to where you guys are going, right? So yeah. I kind of take this this concept of what we're talking about, and I want to kind of dive into a little bit more of the education space. You're, you're highly a studious. I want you to kind okay. of talk about books that, you, that you've that you read on your journey to become who you are that the listeners should read if they have not read already. Um, so I would say one of the books that has greatly changed me was Brene Brown. I'm I would imagine people have shared her, but it is super, she was super impactful. So Daring Greatly was an important book on my own journey. Um, that is something I really loved. Recently, Atomic Habits, which has been a very popular, popular book. Um, I complete, recently completed a program and associated book with it called Positive Intelligence. Mm. Positive Intelligence has made a big impact on this idea of understanding your saboteurs, things that kind of get us off track and how can we reframe and reuse those to nav navigate things to be more uh, in control uh, and, of our self and have better self-awareness. Mm. So those are a couple that really stand out to me right now. Definitely yeah. heard. I've got another one on my desk right now. I haven't started, but I'm excited about reading called Vertical Growth. Vertical Growth. Oh. So this is all about this idea of more than just learning additional knowledge. How do we build in experiences that really push us outside our comfort zone and our boundaries? And that is that next level um, of kind of pushing our thinking. Hmm. So that's so my deep reading. I was leading you down this path, right? So like, you can kick me under the table for this next question. But with all this different information and all the different resources and all the different tentacles that you have access to, where do you stand currently with writing your first book? Okay, did you call my brother? I just need to know if you called my brother. I would do something like that, but not this time. I did not. Okay, I know you were just in Japan, and he's in Japan right now. Are you sure you didn't like no sort of like okay at a mame or something? All right, so um, yeah, I have my idea and I have my concept, and yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> I've got a block. I have a block on this. I, I have a block on taking action. And I think it's a really curious thing. But I do. I have an idea. I have a little bit of an outline. Um, what are your thoughts? What, what's it take after that? 
Well, I, I would say, I mean, once you kind of have the outline, then it's just flushing it out. I mean, everything you do for your clients right now, you probably go in with an itinerary, right? Of like, this is things that we need to kind of get before we can actually get to this next level. Before we could talk about monetization, before we could talk about growth, we have to establish the leadership. So your books kind of follow that same format, right? You have your outline what, and then talk through that outline to your actual client, to your avatar. And then your book will be done in like a couple of weeks, honestly. Just record the audio and transcribe it. You make it sound so easy. Once you start doing it, it is, it is, it really is that easy. It, it's literally getting the thoughts from your mind in an organized fashion that makes sense to someone else. That's it. If you could do that, then you could write a best-selling book. All right. Are you going to help me promote it? Should I come back on here when I, when I've got it? I have the title. I have the concept. I just haven't taken the time. And that's the real answer. If I haven't made or taken the time. And I, as a coach, know that I keep asking myself the actual coaching question of like, what's your block? What's preventing you? What's the deepest fear, Janine, that you have about this? And I joke and say that maybe I just don't have anything important to say, which is just all these self-fulfilling kind of doubts. And um, I laugh because as much as we started out with my being like a you know trainer and, and consultant and coach... I've got my own stuff too, the same way everybody yeah. else has theirs. Yeah. 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 For you, I would flip it, alphabet, put it back in your clients, give them surveys, let them tell you what they're looking for. And then you just fill in the blanks, make it 10 times easier. And then you already have to supply and demand of the audience because they're telling you what they want. Yeah. Great advice. Great oh. advice. Yeah. So I think yeah. we, said, we said technology a couple different times. And I, anyone that does anything with business, considering your background with Rob and his Salesforce background, like what, what's your, 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 your software stack? Like what kind of software do you use on a day-to-day that if you didn't have access to, you'd probably be pulling your hair out? I know. Don't tell Rob because I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. I use Zoho. Yeah. <laughs> um, I use Zoho as my technology stack for a lot of things. That's my CRM, my project management software, my books and financing, my email client integrates in there, my tasking. So um, I was in with them kind of early and so I have a very good financial deal. Sounds like a lot of deal to me. (laughs) Good financial deal, which, but even outside of that, Mm. The amount of that entire tech stack is equivalent to what some people are paying for when it just comes to like their QuickBooks or their FreshBooks or their billing software. My entire stack is built in that. And I fully admit that I am not using it to its entire capacity for automation and other pieces. But I do build out every year three things that I want to improve on my processes that uh, that make me stickier and stickier to Zoho. Uh, but I actually, I like them a lot. And um, I'm a big Canva user. I'm sure that other people have come on here and shared Canva, but Canva and I are a great relation, have a great relationship. Um, it's easy to use. It's, time, it's, it's the ability to change format and sizing and scaling is incredible. And uh, last year I got quarantined on a cruise boat in uh, Indonesia and had to keep working, and I had rewarded myself uh, by not using, by not um, bringing my laptop with me for the first time in a decade. And here I get quarantined, and I was like, okay, well now I gotta get back to work. And I literally was on my iPhone 14 on Canva, working, able to get it done. So I'm all about, I'm all about them too. So I think it's definitely interesting. Cause I mean, you have a design background, so correct me if I'm wrong. I think the software when you were in school was probably either CAD or Adobe Illustrator around that, that, that. So that's a totally different pro monster versus Canva. But to your point, Canva is so organic. It runs in the cloud. It makes it so easy for even a client to kind of log in and change a title or change a color or something. Is there a particular reason besides the ease of use that you kind of pulled away from the the pro end items? So it's funny you say that. I still actually have pro software, but I do the pro work and the pro work Mm. and the easy work in Canva. Um, And the other reason I do it is because I have gotten burned a couple times where I go into client offices and they tell me that they've got all the software set up. I can't, I don't bring my laptop, not that I don't bring it, but access to laptop or PowerPoint, Keynote, whatever you're using, you get in, they tell you it's going to work and it doesn't. 
And the beauty of Canva is everybody has access to an internet site and I pull it up and the presentation goes on the fly. And so for me, when it comes to facilitating, that works really, really well. Um, but my graphics, many of my graphics are still done using Adobe Cloud Services and Adobe, the Adobe suite yeah. of products. And um, when I work with graphic designers or, you know, other people in the creative space who are helping me with some of the visuals of things that get built into programs, that's got to be done in the Pro Tools. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've had a love-hate for both sides of the platform. I mean, obviously, like in the pro end, there's so many things that you can do and make it so glorified. But the worst thing for any designer is to have to get those phone calls, those emails, those text messages with changes that can take someone five minutes, but you have to launch a pro program that takes just five minutes for it to start up. Load yes. Fonts and load everything. So to your point, I have clients like, you know, Ford Foundation that, you know, I've pretty much started designing all their things in the cloud to make it easier for them to be transparent and transportive between their environment versus landlocking it down to a .psd or .ai file. So yeah, exactly. So, so, so I say it's all about the logos and the graphics that I want to stay static. Once I can lock those in, we bring those into Canva, then you can play with all the word changes and the easy modification. So I think it's about smart design of bringing both tools together um, and letting them both use their purpose, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is a growing thing. I mean, even in, in the audio space, there's the same thing too. I mean, obviously there's pro tools and there's all these different high end. And like now I'm finding myself using cloud based editing platforms just to make it easier and universal <laughs> for a team. So again, cloud, cloud is your friend if you, if you know how to use it, right? Thank you. So I want you to kind of talk to the listener, right? And this listener, again, can be diverse because you have a very diverse plethora of in, in people that you work with, but just say they're a little bit younger and they're stepping into their first-time management role. What words of wisdom do you have for someone that's highly ambitious in the going into the management role, but their objective is to get into the executive seat? What can you tell them to help them to overcome the hurdles that they're going to face? Mm -hmm. So the hurdles that they're going to face are knowing the right time, right place, right person to have challenging but important conversations with. Hmm. Not being afraid of those conversations, but really consider you know them as a gift and an opportunity to really build relationships uh i think that right now that's the biggest struggle i see with emerging leaders is that they get so stuck in knowing how great their expertise was at the job that they were doing the the hurdle of managing people could be hard and one of the things that they struggle with the most is having tough conversations not wanting to get people make people upset or hurt people's feelings or um so I'm not saying go out there and be a jerk. It's just that idea of thinking, I have to have a conversation. What's, what is our positive goal? What are we trying to get to together? What's kind of that long-term vision and thinking about how to, to have that. So that would be one thing that I would definitely say. The other is um, uh, work, work hard while you're being patient. So the thing that I have observed is, is that people want to charge forward faster than uh, the business space can support them to do. Uh, either we'll let them do or support them to do. So me as a kid, my first job out of college, when HR said to me, what did you think about training? I was one of those cocky 20-something-year-old kids who was like, I think I could do it better. Can I get into that role, right? And now I hear them and see them all the time. And I don't see them as cocky. I see them as eager. I don't see them as entitled. I see them as hardworking. Mm -hmm. um, but I also see them as impatient. And it's this idea of having a bit of patience around the process of learning what needs to happen. So just keep going after the goal while being uh, mindful of what feels like a long time to you, a year, two, three years to get to that next position is not a long time to someone who's been doing that role for 30 years. And that disconnect between the two of you creates this sense of urgency for someone who's young and impatient perspective of impatience by someone who's older. And that disconnect can often create a barrier rather than kind of a strategic plan to move it forward. Wow. I think that 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 closing statement is is worth the the admission to this podcast by itself. I mean, obviously it, it's such a inspirational 
spin on that particular topic, right? I want people to think about it from the standpoint of what you just said, is being patient enough to realize that you don't have, not necessarily education, but you don't have the wisdom to see how do you want to get to the next step. And yeah. so, and I think that that's the key thing that people need to realize. Do, do you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that um, more senior leaders really appreciate individuals who are self-motivated and hardworking and committed and all of those great qualities. They get a little, uh, I don't know, perturbed, bothered, you know, aggravated, annoyed when it feels like it's just a drive uh-huh. rather than kind of an unfolding of a plan. And I think if, if younger people could kind of learn how to speak that language with a few, you know, and marry that together, I think there's a lot of power in that. So, yeah. So let me play devil's advocate with that last statement, right? So you're saying that the younger people should learn to adapt to the older, but considering that the older is a ticking time bomb of expiration, do you not think that the older generation should also kind of dive backwards and learn to speak to the younger generation as well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think it's a two-way conversation. I think it's just kind of understanding both, right? Mm -hmm. It's the older generation trying to remember what it was like to be hungry and eager and to see that hungry and eager is not entitlement, which Mm -hmm. is the word I hear a lot from more senior people, and younger people to say, slower there is there is beauty in a slow progression and there are experiences um i had a really important mentor said say to me one time janine you just want to be a 20-year business when you're a three-year business you have expectations of where you're trying to get to that aren't realistic for where you are Mm -hmm. what's the next step to get there Mm -hmm. and sure we don't have to do in 20 you could do it in 10 but you still have to understand the next steps of where you're trying to get to. It was just this idea of patience, you know, letting the process unfold itself a little bit in a strategic way. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely beautiful. It kind of I wrote an article this morning um, based upon a, a message that I seen from Ty Cohen on social media, and I wrote this mm-hmm. article talking about, okay, guys, if you're familiar with Walt Disney, and I want you to kind of think bigger, and everyone thinks that Walt Disney was it was a great big thinker. In reality, the only thing that he wanted to do was to create an amusement park for kids and parents alike. So I would say he shortchanged himself considering that Disney now is a media monster that owns everything. I don't even think Disney could even comprehend where 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 things are today in comparison to where he was. So based upon what your statement is, you know, obviously thinking bigger, thinking outside the box, pushing the limitations. Like I think Elon is a good example of that. Like trying to go to Mars, yeah, we have issues here, but in reality eventually where are we going in the universe? And he's, he knows it's not going to happen in his lifetime, but the reality yeah. he's setting the, the, like the breadcrumbs for the next generation to make it happen later on. Right. Yeah. And that talk about all these full circle moments. I mean, that's exactly what I've been talking about the whole time in my own mind is that idea we're planting seeds for the next harvest. And so um, it's that idea of some, you know, thinking about this, younger people right now planning where they want to get to plant the seed for today and tomorrow, the crop that is going to grow quickly, right? What am I going to do now that, that, that produces something, but also what am I planting that, that grows three, five, seven, 10, 20 years from now. And some of the seeds to be planting for 20 years from now are not the success wins of the day, but the relationships that will sustain you in 20 years from now. So going back to my boss, old boss, Will, who I'm going to have dinner with very soon. He, I mean, that was a 25 year old seed right now where we are still connected, right? Those are relationships of people who continue to support you long-term. And so I think that there's a little bit of that. Don't just, sometimes we get focused, especially in American culture. And I know you have a global audience, but especially in American culture about the transactional nature of today. Like I got to get the hustle today. I got to grind it out for what's today. That's okay. You got to do that, but don't forget to nurture for down the road. And some of those longer mentor relationships um, or letting the strategy unpack for, I I need to move through some stages of life in order to get to the senior places I want to be. That, that all starts now too. It's just being strategic about that, that long-term strategy. So, I mean, with that, right, how does someone get in contact with you, especially if they're looking for like a team leadership mentorship, right? Those trilogies again, right? So in that space, where do you want to send them? What website, what social media platforms? 
Yeah. So I would love it if they visited my JanineCaposi.com and my name's spelled uniquely. So it's G-I-N-I-N-E. C-A-P-O-Z-Z-I. So JanineCaposi.com is where I am giving away some free resources from being on podcasts and talking with people like you. And so that idea of they can get things there, they can sign up for a conversation with me for free. So I'm offering that. If they want to learn more about what Knowledge Force does as a business, they can visit KnowledgeForceConsulting.com. And I'm always on LinkedIn. That's actually my platform of choice. I know everybody's on everything else like Insta and Facebook and all of that. But really some of my best conversations with business leaders is on LinkedIn. So those are three places, JanineCaposi.com, KnowledgeForceConsulting.com, and LinkedIn. Very cool. Very cool. So that brings us to the bonus questions, right? If you could spend 24 hours with anyone, and that person could be someone that you've never met, have met, someone from your past that could be alive or dead today, who would it be and why? Um, who would it be and why? I would sit down with, oh, there's so many. Who am I going to pick? I'm going to pick FDR. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, I think that he, the world was in chaos, <laughs> right? You've got uh, economic pressures, so many fears. He was a man that got a lot of big, massive change accomplished, and he was, one of the most um, incredible orders of modern day history. And I would love to know how he understood what got people to tick and what got people to move. Hmm. Yeah, the leaders of, of old, like to your point, I mean, this is a different mentality, different mm-hmm. social economic situations. Now everything is relative, but you know, you're talking about the early 1900s. It's just, it's just a different monster. It's just a different beast. You know, it was a different beast, but when I look, I don't know, when you think history repeats itself in, or, 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 or a new flavor of it, the modern day version of it, and I just think that there's some interesting things that are happening around the world right now that um, reflect back, unfortunately, to that kind of time and era. And I would, I, I would love to uh, understand his fireside chats and how he was really able to use that form of media and technology um, to pull people together. And how, how could we do that in a noisier environment today to pull people together? Yeah, you're definitely right. I mean, coming from the standpoint of being a podcaster in the noise, I think finding ways to articulate uniquely versus other podcasters and obviously guests are also a part of that equation. But to your point, you have to kind of find your right frequency and then vibrate the hell out of that thing as loud as you possibly can for as long as you can. For as long as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you're not a leader unless you got a follower, right? Oh, correct. Yeah. I mean, you can follow yourself, but you know, the kind of <laughs> disorder thing may be a little bit far-fetched, but you can definitely do that. Yeah. So going into closing, man, I like to give whoever I'm interviewing an opportunity to become the host of my show. So now Boston Cage is your show. You're the host. I'm your guest. Do you have any questions that you'd like to ask me? What is the best advice somebody's ever given you? Man, that is, is, is that's so difficult. Because, I mean, you gave me great advice today. So it's kind of like, I don't say I live in the moment, but I get so much little nuggets every single episode. It okay. is so difficult to kind of, but I would think collectively, the best thing that I've ever heard from anyone is that to be great, you can't do it by yourself. Like everybody that you see that has made it to a particular level that people look up to, whether you're talking about Steve Jobs, you're talking about Bill Gates, Elon Musk, FDR, and any leader on that level, to your point, you can't lead by yourself. So you have to kind of step into that space, understanding that you're leading a group of people. Yep. I love it. That's great. That's really great. And my other question, you already kind of gave me the answer. How do I write my own book like you? But you told me I should. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, two options for that. You could survey or you can kind of just do your outline and fill in the blanks. I guarantee you do just do that by itself. You probably have like several thousand words and be sitting down like, holy shit, I have an entire book. Now all you have to do is kind of take it to an editor to to organize the noise for you and then you'll have a book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I might be in touch with you. I was going to yeah. say, I think if, if I have your permission, I'm going to be in touch with you about that. Uh, yeah. That idea of those kind of next steps or, or guidance you've got. I've got my idea. Yeah. And what do you think the power is in having your own book? 
What is the what is having a book done for you as a oh. businessman? I mean, so many different things. I mean, it's it's books are kind of like the gateway to strategies. Or I mean, imagine walking into an office and person A has nothing, person B has a business card, and person C has their book. You kind of separate from the bunch by default. In addition to that, I mean, it's a cold market lead magnet. I mean, you can kind of put the book out there, whether it's free or for a lower cost. Most people, they're not even trying to get money back from their book. Their book is just a gateway to kind of get them more high price clientele. So if you don't have a book and you're selling something that's $10,000, it makes it really difficult for them to kind of like, learn, and trust you if they haven't heard your voice in a podcast or YouTube or in a book. Or collectively, you do all three of them, it just makes things a lot easier for you in the long run. Mm-hmm. I appreciate your wisdom. Uh, I definitely appreciate you being here today. I think as far as wisdom goes, I mean, like the name of your company by itself is a brand. Knowledge Force is a pretty damn strong name for what you do. So I definitely <laughs> commend you for that. I appreciate you. I think you brought a hell of a of different insights from an educational standpoint leading into leadership and success. So I definitely appreciate you being here today. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate you. You're an incredible incredible co-host and it's it was easy to talk with you and uh i appreciate all the hard work and homework that you did uh, understanding me as a person and being able to bring that out in the podcast it's a true gift yep yep and i, I, I promise i'm not gonna tell your mom that she can't cook but you know i just i seen that <laughs> that, that turkish and i was just kind of like she's a foodie you know not all foodies can cook, so it's unfortunate but <laughs> yeah, some some foodies are just good at eating yes <laughs> so, With that, S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss Uncaged are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.